Everyone wants to hear about heaven, but hell is another story. Sadly, we live in an age where Hollywood has redefined heaven and hell. Most people don't have a clue what heaven is, and when it comes to hell, people think it's not real. Or worse, some think hell will be a fun place where partying will happen. Let's face it, Satan has done his job well. We have somehow eliminated hell from our Christian discourse and have pandered to the sentimental and silly views of what heaven is. This March, we are going on a journey to discover what the Bible teaches about heaven and hell. The revelation of Jesus Christ as told through John the Apostle is considered by some to be too difficult to understand. Yet we are told in Revelation 1-3 that God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listens to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. For the one who is a true Christian, really born again, Revelation is one of the most exciting books in the Bible. Revelation tells us of the details of the defeat of Satan, of the false prophet, and Antichrist. It tells us of the judgment that is coming to a world which is violently opposed to Christ and his church. God gives us warnings that we must pay careful attention to or else we will be caught in the same judgment that is coming to this world. You have been warned. Well, good morning, everybody. And we are beginning a brand new study in Revelation 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. It's a five-week study. We're talking about heaven and hell. And hopefully, we'll be able to answer some of your questions. What will heaven be like? What will hell be like? Um, how, do I, how do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? What will it be like at the end of days? That's some of the questions that we want to talk about. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't really like talking about hell. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been holding off on this for a long time, but I just felt the, so pressed by the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you on this subject. Now, uh, a lot of people uh, have come to the place now where they just simply don't believe in heaven or hell. Um, and I said it, we said in the, in the video clip here that Hollywood has really defined for us a belief system. Sadly, we are more apt to listen to what the, what the millionaires in Hollywood have to say rather than what Jesus says in his word through his pastors. So look at, uh, look at this guy. Uh, this is George Clooney. He is the second most handsome man in the world. My wife says I'm the most. That means George Clooney is second. Uh, but here's what George Clooney says. He says, I don't believe in heaven and hell, uh, and I don't know if I believe in God. All I know is that as an individual, I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. So, we need to talk about 
whether there is another life to come, we need to talk about what happens after we die. And so for the next five weeks, that's exactly what we'll be talking about. We'll be talking about what happens uh, after we die. But in the meantime, let me just say this. Um, most people have very little idea what heaven is or what hell is. And some people have come to the conclusion that hell will be the place where they have the best parties. They think people who go to heaven will have a boring time in heaven because there'll be nothing exciting there. So they gladly, gleefully declare, I'm going to heaven where the parties are gonna be happening. Songwriter Frank Turner, in his ballad of me and my friends, says, yes, I'm definitely going to hell, but I'll have the best stories to tell. For 35 years now, the church has really shied away from any conversation, any discourse, any preaching or teaching about hell. We've talked about heaven. There's been a number of books that have come out. You may have seen them. Uh, I died and went to heaven. I was in heaven for an hour, and I came back, and they tell the story. But we don't really hear a whole lot about hell, and the reason is it's the most uncomfortable thing to talk about in the Bible. How, how do we reconcile this notion, this idea of hell with a loving God? Well, you're gonna just, we're going to explore that uh, a little bit today, but, uh, but definitely over the next uh, five, four weeks, including today. Um, We've shifted away from teaching about judgment, God's judgment. We've shifted away from teaching about eternity. And we have focused more on life here and now. We, we want to talk about how to have our best life now. In fact, there's a famous TV evangelism, uh, evangelist that wrote a book called that, Your Best Life Now. I'm going to tell you that title alone is wrong in so many ways and on so many levels. It is totally contrary to scripture. What you need to understand today, my friends, is that from Genesis to Revelation, the emphasis has always been not just on what is temporal, what is temporary, what is of this life. The Bible speaks of what is eternal and, and makes it very clear that we are eternal beings. I don't know if you knew that. The common thought, the common idea, the common philosophy of people like George Clooney, and he's just one of many, they have this notion, this idea is that, that whatever is now is all that there is. And if you're one of the, the, the sad people that dies when you're very young, too bad, you missed out. And if you get to live to a ripe old age, well, you're lucky and you made it through. I'm going to tell you, this, this way of thinking is totally antithetical. It's, it's against what the Bible says. It's anti-Christ, if you will. So what we want to do is we want to talk about what does the Bible teach us about being eternal beings? And how do we enjoy e our eternity? If you're going to speak about heaven, then you have to speak about hell. Because we know that people who are evil, who do evil, people who reject Christ, who reject God, cannot inherit heaven. The only people who can go to heaven are people who are holy. Why? Because God is holy. Nothing evil can ever dwell or live in the presence of a holy God. So we need to have that conversation. 
While we're talking about heaven and hell, one of the things we're going to talk about is the justice of God. Now, for many of us, when we speak about God, uh, and if somebody asked you, what, who is God, what's God like, you, you're, probably your, your immediate response would be, well, God is love. And you would be correct. This is what John tells us, God is love. But what a lot of people don't understand is that when we talk about God as a God of love, you have to include in the equation that God is also just. You can't speak about God's love without speaking about the justice of God, and you're going to see why in just a few moments. So we understand that the God of love is also a just God, a God who, who is concerned with his justice being done. Today we're going to talk about God's judgment. We're looking at, at Revelation chapter 18, and I'm going to ask everybody to do a favor, do me a favor, uh, and that is, could you please read it? Not now, but when you get home. I'd like you to read Revelation 18, chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21, and chapter 22. I think you'll be really blessed and really excited about that. But you will see, if, you have, if you've read through your Bible yet, you will see that judgment, the judgment of God, is not just a New Testament idea. It's not a new idea. It's... It's a, an idea that comes to us right from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, Jesus, or God warns Adam and Eve uh, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you may eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat its fruit, you will, you will surely die. There's God's judgment. God is saying, if you're going to be holy, then you have to obey God. You have to do what God says. Does everybody understand what holiness is? Holiness is doing God's will every time. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus did when he was on this earth. He went around obeying God, doing the will of God every single time. That, my friends, is what holiness is. And those who are not holy, those who are unholy, are going to come under the judgment of God. And that's exactly what God says in Genesis 2, 16 to 17. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see there's a, there's a reoccurring theme throughout the Psalms. If, for instance, Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8. But the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from his throne. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. A couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about the sheep and the goats. And in case you don't know what the sheep and the goats are, Jesus says at the end of the day, when it comes time for the judgment, God will separate the sheep from the goats. And how do we know who the sheep are and how do we know who the goats are? The sheep are the ones who give, give water in Jesus' name, who, who visit the, those who are imprisoned, the, the brothers and sisters of Christ, the Christians, that is, who are, who are imprisoned, uh, those who need clothing, uh, those who are sick. The sheep are the ones who minister to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And the goats are the ones who refuse. I'm, no, I don't want to help anybody. I don't want to care about anybody. You'll notice to my right here is a wall full of, of profiles that were not up during the banquet. And the reason those profiles were not up during the banquet 
is because uh, these kids weren't sponsored yet. They were on the outside, and now we've been able to bring them, bring them in, as it were. It was sheep that sponsored these children. And this is what Jesus says. The goats will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, that is the sheep, will go into eternal life. So we see Jesus speaking about judgment. No one in the Bible talks more about hell than Jesus does. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven, and he describes it very vividly. In two weeks from now, we're going to talk about that. There's no denying that Jesus knew and believed and warned against the absolute reality of hell. Before hell, though, is judgment. It's judgment time. Some of you will remember uh, that we just completed the, the series on Habakkuk. And Habakkuk's got these complaints for God. Habakkuk says to God, look at the evil all around us. There's violence, there's immorality, there's people are lying and cheating, and it's a horrible situation. God says, I know, and I'm gonna raise up the Babylonians, and they're gonna discipline you. And then, and then Habakkuk's really upset. He goes, well, hold on a minute here. That's not fair either. I don't like that. And God says, don't worry. Not only am I gonna deal with my own people, not only will I discipline and judge my own people, but he says, I am definitely going to be judging Babylon. In fact, this is what, this is what uh, it says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. He says, the vision, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end. And it will be fulfilled. And it seems slow in coming. Wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. God is telling Habakkuk that at the end of the time, at the end of the age, at the end of the world, Babylon will be punished. Well, nowhere in Scripture is the coming judgment better defined than in the chapters 6 to 18 of Revelation. You can read that too if you want. We see in chapters 6 to 18 the, the judgment of God being poured out by the angels that have been appointed for that work. Now, I want you to listen to this. I'm going to read to you from uh, Revelation 18, verses 1 to 3 and then 21 to 24. John the Revelator, God, Jesus gave the revelation to John. And so John says, after all this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven with great authority. And the earth grew bright with his splendor. And he gave a mighty shout, Babylon has fallen. That great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury. The merchants of the world have grown rich. And then we go to the end of the chapter and listen to what it says. Verse 21, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a huge millstone. The millstone was used for grinding wheat into flour. He threw it into the ocean and shouted, just like this, the great city Babylon will be thrown down with violence and will never be found again. 
The sound of harps, singers, flutes, and trumpets will never be heard in you again, O Babylon. No craftsman, no trades will ever be found in you again, O Babylon. The sound of the mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The happy voices of brides and grooms will never be heard in you again. For your merchants were the greatest in the world, and you deceived the nations with your sorceries. In your streets flowed the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, and the blood of people slaughtered all over the world. Now, the question is, when we read this, first of all, is Babylon an actual city? Well, it was an actual city, and it represented the whole Babylonian nation. The thing about Scripture and prophecy, which a lot of people don't understand, is that there is a now and a not yet component. Oftentimes, the prophecies are, are, are imminent. They happen now, but they also will happen in the future. We see this again and again. In fact, we saw it in Habakkuk. God disciplined Babel, the Babylonians, released, released the children of Israel from Babylon. They went back to their, back to their homeland, and that happened before the birth of Christ. But then we see a future time when God will discipline Babylon. Now, there is no Babylon today. It's just a pile of ruins. So what is Babylon? Some, some pastors, some Bible uh, scholars, they believe that, that the city of Babylon will be resurrected. Um, I don't believe that. I believe that Babylon represents the systems of this world. And you've heard me talk about that. We say uh, that, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. The world is the philosophies, the ideas. It's the, the, the financial systems. It's the religious systems of this world. Everything that sets itself up against God. In fact, we call this Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist has taken hold of this world. The best way to help you understand this is when we talk about Jerusalem, we call Jerusalem the city of God. Babylon is the city of, of Satan. Jerusalem is a city of Christ. Babylon is the city of Antichrist. From Revelation 6 to 18, we see God's judgment being poured out on the city of Satan, on the on the people who have embraced the things of this world. Now, what do we see about Babylon? Well, a quick synopsis of the, of the world under Babylonian rule. We see that, it, that, that the pride and the arrogance of the people is at heights unknown. The arrogance and the pride. Now, what does God say about the pride, about the proud? He says he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And by the way, every single person here today who has put their faith in Jesus Christ presumably walks in humility before God and before others. The people of Babylon, very proud, very arrogant. You can't tell them anything. I know everything. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. The Ninevites were like that. Remember that? Remember God told Jonah, go to the Ninevites because he was going to destroy Nineveh because of their great arrogance and pride and the wickedness that dwelt in that city. 
Jonah went there and he preached the gospel to them. And lo and behold, they surrendered to God. They repented. They turned from their wickedness and God spared them. He spared them the judgment that would come to them. Well, we don't see that happening with Babylon. They have no intentions of responding to the preaching of God's word. They have no interest in responding to the gospel that has been preached faithfully now for 2,000 years by godly pastors and preachers. Because of their pride and their arrogance, no one's going to tell us what to do. And so we see sin abounding. Violence is especially strong in in the Babylonian system. There's a violence against God's people. And here's something very disturbing and very much what we're seeing today, slavery, human trafficking. Sexual perversion and immorality has hit new heights. And this might surprise you, but a love of wealth and of riches has gripped the Babylonian system, has gripped the world. That's why Jesus says you can't love God and money. And yet, remember, we talked about this last week. We said money, the word that is translated as money is actually the word mammon. And mammon is a Syrian, the Syrian deity, the God of wealth and riches. Jesus is saying you can't worship both God and mammon because you're going to hate one and love the other. This is the Babylonian world. This is the Babylonian system. And folks, I want you to know something right now. We are now immersed very much in the Babylonian system. We are surrounded by the spirit of Antichrist. This is the world that we now live in. And it is getting worse by the day. Look at this. 30% of human trafficking victims are children. How can this be? How can this be in a world that is supposed to be getting better because we are enlightened? It's getting worse. It's not getting better. The trafficking that's happening, mostly women, and uh, 30% are children. It's shocking beyond belief. The money generated from this human trafficking, they estimated at $36 billion a year. This is the spirit of Antichrist at work. The Antichrist hates human beings. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. Satan is attacking God by attacking us, by attacking every human being. It's deadly, it's frightening, and it's getting worse by the day. Does anybody remember the day when, well, this is the way it was when I was a kid. I'd eat, eat my, my cornflakes quick, and I'd run outside, and I wouldn't come back till it was dark. And everybody did that. That was not abnormal. Nowadays, you would never let your kid out of your sight like that because you don't know what's lurking out there. And by the way, it's not just in poor communities, it's everywhere. It's the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Babylon that is at work. How about this? 76% of 18 to 24-year-old Christians 
actively seek out pornography. Shh. 76%. The Barna Group survey, uh, surveys people. This is what they, he does for a living. And this is what he discovered. 76% of 18 to 24-year-old Christians actively seek out porn. 71% of teens will hide online behavior from their parents. This is, this is shocking. I don't know if you're shocked. I don't know if you're disturbed by this. Maybe your heart's calloused. You hear this stuff and it's like, oh yeah, well, it's the way it is. This is disturbing stuff because this is the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Antichrist. I didn't want to do a series on hell, but I felt God pushing me to do it. The next difficult sermon series I'm going to have to do is dealing with human sexuality. Very uncomfortable for many of us, but we have to talk about this because it's threatening the body of Christ. This is serious stuff, friends, very serious stuff. If you and I are going to be a holy people, then we have to obey our master, our Lord, our king. You, we can't be excusing ourselves and letting ourselves off the hook saying, oh, well, it's just the way men are created. Because by the way, it's not just men looking at pornography. Now it's a problem amongst young ladies. We have a big problem in front of us people. And God has promised to pour out judgment on all those who practice the ways of Babylon. Here's something shocking. 215 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution worldwide. This is the spirit of Babylon, and that's what, this is what we're reading in, in Revelation 18. That that's, uh, Arabian script there is the sign for the persecuted believer. You'll see, see that beside many people on Twitter and many people on Facebook that put that sign up there that says, we're not forgetting the believers that are being persecuted. How many are being persecuted? Well, 215 Christians experience high levels of persecution worldwide, but listen to this. 322 are killed each month. 322 Christians are killed each month. 214 churches are destroyed each month. 772 forms of violence against Christians happens every month. Now we wonder, where is God in all this? What is going on? The great evil that is, I mean, look at I could spend an hour just talking about the evil of Babylon, the evil of the, of the spirit of Antichrist. But I think this is enough to give you the picture that judgment is necessary on this world. Would you say amen to that? God seems quiet, but I want you to know something. His judgment is coming. Look what he says here in verse 20 of Revelation 18. Rejoice over Babylon's fate, O heaven and people of God. Who are the people of God? Us. Rejoice over Babylon's fate. Rejoice over the spirit of Antichrist and his fate. 
O heaven and people of God and apostles and prophets, for at last God has judged her for your sakes. We talk about the love of God. Here is the expression of, one of the expressions of God's love. He judges Babylon for our sake. Now, one of the best books I ever read, it absolutely revolutionized my life, was a book written by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. I uh, include a little quote from him, and here's what he says. The character of God is the guarantee that all wrongs will be righted someday. That's what we all want, right? When the day of God's wrath, that is when his righteous judgment will be revealed, the day of God's wrath arrives, retribution will be exact, and no problems of cosmic unfairness will remain to haunt us. God is the judge, so justice will be done. Justice will be done. If we're going to talk about heaven, if we're going to talk about hell, and if we're going to talk about justice, understand something, folks. We need to look at ourselves. We need to make sure that we are truly converted. Did you get that? That you are truly born again. You're not just a cultural Christian. You're not just a Christian because of peer pressure. You're not just a, a Christian because your parents are Christians. But that your own heart has been converted and transformed and born again. We wonder about the unfairness of this life, but know this God is going to right what's wrong, retribution will be exact. Jesus told us a parable to make us think about what happens after we die. Because quite frankly, most of us living in Canada here, we're really quite happy with living here. In many ways, we feel like, you know, this is kind of a utopia. And we focus now not on the thing on the world to come. We're focusing on this world and how can I make it better? How can I have a better marriage? How can I have a better family? How can I be a better father? How can I be a better mother? How can I be a better businessman? How can I make more money? How can I have a, a great life here and now? This way of thinking, folks, is foreign to Scripture. God has always called us to be a people who are looking for another city, the city of God, that Jerusalem. But too many of us are focused on Babylon. There's a lot of TV preachers who've made a lot of money off of people who want to be rich and somehow be a Christian. Their pursuit is maybe a little stronger towards the money than it is towards God. The fact of the matter is, is not many people can handle wealth Wealth is dangerous. It destroys people's lives. It destroys people's health. It destroys people's marriages and families. I, believe me, I've been doing this long enough. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. And if you don't believe me, 
pick up a People magazine because People magazine is full of one celebrity after another whose lives have been destroyed by their wealth and their fortune and fame. You know exactly what I'm saying. So Jesus gives this parable to help us to think about eternity. Do you understand that you are an eternal being? You were created for eternity. You are created in the image of God. And so Jesus tells a story about the rich farmer. And he sows his seed and he gets a a massive bumper crop. More more, uh, harvest than he knows what to do with. And he thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll build barns. I'll put it all the way in barns. I'll quit farming and I'll live forever on all this great produce. And then Jesus says this, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So let me ask you a question. Have you bought into the spirit of Antichrist? You're more concerned about your wealth and with the wealth that you've stored up. And Jesus says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Are you rich toward God? Some of you are rich on this earth, but you are gonna be a a pauper in heaven. This is why Jesus tells us, don't store up treasure on earth, store it up in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't get at it. You say, how do I store up my treasure in heaven? Sponsor a child. Start caring about other people other than yourself. Make the love of Christ your number one priority and not yourself. John says, then I heard another voice calling from heaven, come away from Babylon, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you will be punished with her for her sins are piled as high as heaven and God remembers her evil deeds. Revelation 18 changes us because it makes us think about what happens when we die. And Jesus reminds us it could happen at any minute, any moment. He says, you fool, tonight your life is required. And so we are called to follow the instruction of Jesus Christ himself. Remember, it was Jesus who gave the revelation to John. And Jesus says, come away from Babylon, my people. Do not take part in her sins. You struggling with pornography? Are you struggling with greed, the love of money? Are you struggling with the longing to be popular and accepted and loved and embraced by people who are not Christians, then you are partaking in the sin of Babylon. Now you can see why the Holy Spirit has pressed me to share this message with you. Because the church right now, and I'm not talking about cross church necessarily, I'm talking about the church in North America especially, is in a bad, bad way. It's hard to, to distinguish an unbeliever from a, a so-called believer. 
the Christians are doing exactly the same things that the non-Christians are doing. And the non-Christians are doing what Christians are doing. We can't tell the difference. What is the difference? The difference is, is that a Christian is not sharing in the sins of Babylon. A Christian has set himself, is set apart for God. That's what it means to be holy. We're set apart for God's purposes. Let me ask you a question. Are you being used by God for God's purposes or are you living for yourself? There's some people, they come to church every Sunday, no intention of getting involved, no intention in giving, no intention of sharing or helping. Pastor, just give me a sermon and I've done my duty to God. No, you haven't. To be holy means you're set apart for God's purpose, to be used by God. That is the raw definition of holiness. And only holy people can enter into heaven. Paul warns the Corinthians, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Love that terminology. For those of us who grew up in the city, we don't know what a yoke is. Two oxen together are yoked together with a wooden bar that keeps them working together in tandem. One goes right, they both go right. One goes left, they both go left. They're yoked together. And Paul says, why on earth would you as a Christian be yoked together with somebody who's not a believer? You got no business doing that. Paul says, what fellowship does darkness have with light? This is a problem with us as Christians now. We have, in fact, embraced the spirit of Babylon, taking part in her sins. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer. Nothing. Why are we hanging out with and doing the things that the people of Babylon do? Romans 12, 2, Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. In other words, don't copy the the behaviors, the habits of the people of this world. The people of this world are Babylon. They don't love Jesus. They don't love Christ. They don't love the things of God. They don't love God. Why are you fellowshipping with them? Why are you connected with them, Paul asks. He's scratching his head. He didn't understand How do you call yourself a follower of Christ when you're engaging the same things as those who are not believers? You've got no business partaking. 